Hey everyone, this is Mike Dunn. I'm Julie Cook. I'm Matt Downing. And I'm Janine Dunn. And you are listening to Rethinking EDU. We appreciate you joining us for this awesome episode. It's the second in our series on equity and belonging on Rethinking EDU. And co-hosts, I feel like it's been a while since we've done a recording. And Matt, you were like, uh, you know, traveling the world or something. I don't even know. Uh, But welcome back. We appreciate it. How was your vacation, Matt? It was wonderful. It was wonderful, but I'm, I'm happy to be back talking with you guys and, and being here tonight. Yeah, yeah. We're happy you're back, too. Um, and we're here with an amazing guest this evening. Our guest's name is Shirzad Misagi. And Shirzad, how are you doing this evening? And thank you so much for joining us. Hi, Mike. Hi, everybody. Uh, I'm doing well. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's a pleasure joining you. Yeah, absolutely. Now, Shirzad, you're located um, in the Philadelphia area, much like uh, three of our co-hosts. I guess if you're listening to this podcast, you know that for the last 40 episodes, I was also located in the Philadelphia area, but I have since moved to the uh, you know remote town of Estes Park, Colorado. More on that later, because this is not about me. It's about Shahzad. So Shahzad, you're you're located in the Philadelphia area, but you didn't grow up in Philly. Is that correct? Um, where are you from originally? That is correct. So I currently live in a little town called Harleysville, Pennsylvania, suburbs of Philadelphia with my husband and two children. Um, but yeah, I did not grow up here, Mike. You're right. I was actually uh, raised in Iran. Um, and uh, attended school there also. So all, you know, on the other side of the world. Sure, sure. And so how long have you been in in the Philadelphia area for? Um, And what really kind of pushed you or brought you um, to the the area? Yes, thank you, uh, Mike, for the question. So I came to the United States in 1999, October. So it's going to be... Uh, my anniversary is coming up, actually. Yeah, congratulations. <laughs> thank, you, thank you. So I, I came here in 99. Um, the reason I came here was to um, continue my education, graduate studies. Um, and so I can give a little background about, you know, education, because I was thinking you're talking about rethinking education. So I can tell you where I'm coming from as it relates to education. Sure. So a little bit about myself is that I hold a Bachelor of Science in Pharmacy from a university in Iran that's called the Baha'i Institute for Higher Education, or BIHE. And then when I came to the U.S., I um, I got my Ph.D. in Pharmaceutical Sciences from Temple University in Philadelphia. Go Owls, yeah. Uh, yeah, exactly, go Owls. <laughs> And that was the reason that I came in uh, Philadelphia and I settled here. Um, So a little uh, background about my, uh, let's say, twisted relationship with education. Um, It wasn't intentional, but it was kind of imposed upon me, the twisted relationship. So um, we all know that education plays an uh, instrumental role in growth and development of, uh, of a person and also of a community. Uh, but I personally had a rocky road in uh, obtaining education, both as a child uh, when I was in grade school back in Iran, uh, and also as a youth trying to get to college. Um, so this happened when I was in fourth grade. Um, I was nine, and I was expelled from the elementary school uh, 
my younger brother, the same thing happened to him. He was only in first grade at a time. Uh, so we were like six and nine, right? So uh, the reason that this happened is um, because of uh, the Islamic government of Iran was imposing um, this persecution, severe persecution um, on um, the members of uh, Baha'i faith. Um, uh, so that's my religion. I'm a Baha'i and uh, Baha'i faith is the religious uh, minority, the largest religious minority in Iran. Uh, and yet the followers of that are under uh, systematic persecution. One of it is denying them education. Um, so uh, about Baha'i faith a little bit so that you know what it is. It's a world religion. It's very young, about 180 years old. It originated in Iran and uh, then it spread all over the world. Uh, about 7 million followers currently um, are globally there for the Baha'i faith. Uh, the message of the faith is really beautiful, um, which it, it really promotes oneness of humanity, universal education for everyone, equality of men and women, and harmony of science and religion. Uh, but then you can imagine that uh, back to when I was uh, nine and my brother was six, my parents were really scrambling to um, find an alternate way uh, to educate us. So. But anyway, we found another school that accepted us um, in a remote part of the city we were living in. Um, so I finally made it to high school and graduated with honors. But high school was a dead end in the 90s when I graduated from high school. And it is sad to say that it is still is, actually. Uh, the year is 2021, 20, but same persecution is still happening for, um, uh, for children and the youth back in Iran uh, who are Baha'is. Um, so I was not allowed to sit for the entrance exam for any, um, you know, state-run universities in my homeland. Um, but then at the same time, the Baha'i community in Iran decided to create a university, you know, from scratch. That's a huge undertaking um, as a peaceful solution to educate their own youth. Um, so after the Islamic Revolution happened in Iran in 1979, the students could no longer, of course, access higher education. And at the same time, many highly qualified professors also lost their job um, as professors in the universities, again, uh, just because of their religious beliefs, because they were being Baha'i. So these students who were deprived from education and the professors who were deprived now from teaching, they basically joined hands and created this home university so that youth like myself will be able to have access to some kind of education rather than just sitting home. And that is how I attended Baha'i Institute of Higher Education or BIHE and graduated with my bachelor's degree uh, in pharmacy. But then, of course, the degree was not recognized in Iran, right? So and that's why I moved to the U.S. to be able to go to graduate school. It's really your your story is so fascinating, Sharzad. And it, it feeds right into what we're trying to emphasize in this episode. In our series on equity and belonging, this episode is really centering belonging as a theme and as a question for how important that notion is in school. And your entire experience in school is really about belonging, right? You were literally expelled from school as a nine-year-old, which boggles my mind to think about, and and didn't have the chance to go back and pursue an education. And when you did in Iran, the education was not even recognized by um, by 
the authorities in Iran. And and it just is so um I don't even I don't even know. It, it it's it, the the story that you've shared, your path is so important for I hope our our listeners to understand and kind of grapple with when it comes to when it comes to the necessity of belonging for young people in school. And here you are with a, a person with a PhD and that almost didn't happen because you didn't have a space to belong. Um, and that's really profound, I, I, I think. Correct. Yes. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Um, I was thinking that it ties right in with belonging uh, as well. And I appreciate that you mentioned that too, Mike. Now, Shirzad, when we talk about belonging and um, and this idea about why it's important in school, I think the the word belonging is a pretty simple word but the idea behind who belongs how people belong um who kind of gatekeeps that belonging experience in school is really critical to kind of wrap our minds around um and i want to kind of do that before we move forward um when you think about belonging in school for young people what kinds of ideas come to your mind? What kinds of things would you do you think it's really critical for educators to understand about the notion of belonging in education? Right, right. Um, that's a really good question, Mike. And I agree. It, it sounds like a simple word, belonging, but yet it has it can have a really deep meaning. Um, and it is important to to dig down and um, unfold it and see what it is and what we can do to make sure that the students feel that they belong to the environment in any educational setting. Uh, so to me, belonging is this sense of um, value and uh, respect that one has at, uh, or feels at any given time. And it is really, um, I consider it as a basic human need. Um, and if you look back in some of the research studies, uh, we see that uh, feelings of belonging uh, are associated with a lot of positive outcomes. So, for example, um, a sense of happiness or, or well-being, even better health or better um, stress management. These are associated with that feeling of belonging. And then, of course, if there is no feeling of belonging, then it could be associated with health risks or unhappiness, depression, even anxiety. Um, and so when the stress level and the anxiety level goes high, our students would not be able to focus or fully engage or be motivated. So then uh, it does result in um, lack of learning or performance at school and them not meeting the expectations. So I see that as a very important topic to make sure that the, that the children, that the students feel connected and feel the belonging so that they can keep um, you know, advancing in their academic uh, academic um, achievements, as well as you know, as a whole being in a way, the whole person um, should have this feeling of belonging to be able to succeed. Yeah, yeah, totally. And what I what I like that you're talking about here is really um, a basic fundamental need for schools to provide a safe space where students feel like they can sort of be and be themselves. And you're sort of equating, and correct me if I'm wrong here, 
that uh, the sense of belonging a student feels in school with um, almost like one of the real basic needs of human beings, right? And that is sort of, you know, things that keep us alive, shelter, food, water, et cetera. And those things you're suggesting are almost sitting right alongside this idea of belonging um, from a, from a, from a, like, uh, what I heard you say was almost from like a physiological standpoint, a student needs to feel belonging. Otherwise things like anxiety will take over and their ability to access learning in and of itself will be greatly hampered by, um, by not feeling like there is a space for them in, in a school. Is that sort of along the right lines? Am I getting that right? That's exactly true, Mike. Exactly. You wrapped it up very well. Thank you. Sure. <laughs> I do what I can, you know. <laughs> and I I also, though, want to kind of turn to the other side of that and um, look at belonging at, from a, a, like an emotional well-being, you know, and how a student can be impacted when, let's say, their religious uh, background or their faith uh, is not recognized by their school or their government or what what have you how does that impact a young person and you know if you'd like to share some of your own experience that would be wonderful and if not i i totally understand right now that that makes sense and that's a very good question it, it actually you touched upon religion um and, and that's exactly what i went through uh, back in school, but I would like to, um, you know, step back a little bit and expand it to any to anything, right? That could be out of um, the the traditional way of, um, uh, or or out of the norm, let's say, or out of the um, the way that the majority of the people are, uh, which brings me to stereotypes, right? So, people of color, for example, or um, uh, so basically culture, different cultures, different backgrounds. These people, especially because they already feel that they are in minority. And again, same as me, um, I was a religious minority back in Iran. That's a Muslim country. Um, so when we are in minority, we tend to, uh, you know, feel more excluded or or we would question or we would look for cues to make sure that we are included or not included. So, and when that happens, some of the, um, that cognitive um, feeling or thinking processing is going to be just directed to that kind of cues and the evaluation of it, rather than trying to make those meaningful relationships that we need to have to be able to succeed. So if I need help as a student, and if I, put my energy and my thought process and my feelings into building the relationship that would help me when I struggle later on at school that somebody would be there to help me like a friend or the teacher but rather if I'm just spending a lot of time trying to figure out if I belong or not or when somebody says that or looks at me a certain way what do they mean by that right so you know you know where I'm going with this is that 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 could hamper that could hamper my ability to actually belong, right? Um, so it is important to to pay attention to um, to these. And so back to my story is that um, being a religious minority for me at the school that I was, um, and this is throughout my education. You know, I always made connections with some friends, of course, um, children my own age, and they were very kind and supportive. Uh, but 
there would always be one of the adults. It could be the teacher. It could be the staff who would come and say, whoever is a Baha'i, raise your hand, right, in the classroom. So that right there is persecution because, you know, I, I believe that a nine-year-old doesn't have a religion. It's my parents' religion, really, that I'm just growing up with, with them. Um, so then I have to write to raise my hand in the spirit of truthfulness, correct? And then I will be called upon and I will be taken to the um, office of the principal to explain what I do at home as a Baha'i. Where do I go? What classes are you going to? Or like Sunday schools are you going to? Or these questions that's now taking me away from that educational environment that I have to be in, in my classroom and to learn, to now answer questions while my anxiety level is going high right so that that's where the belonging becomes a question and so every day when i go to school i wonder if the same thing is going to happen right rather than me focusing on that spirit of education and so that becomes the reason for me not to want to go to school not to feel that i belong um and um and and not even you know academically progress the way that i should as a child yeah, thanks for sharing that. Um, I wanted to ask you a reflective question based on the story that you just shared. Thinking about that experience, right, even that specific experience that you shared, you know, in that school environment, just wanted to kind of get your your input onto this this one idea I've been thinking about as you've been talking. And it, it comes to this sort of, why do you think, uh, you know, that people group in, in the school that, that you were in we're, we're not allowing you to belong in, into that group because of your religion. Why, why do you think that is? Because people listening, you know, and, we, and are experiencing this, you know, whether across this country or in your country or another country, there's always these groups that, that are keeping other groups from belonging. Why, why do you think that is? Right. That's a, that's a deep question, Matt. <laughs> right. So. I wish uh, I, I wish um, I knew the answer as to why, um, but but I kind of feel that again going back to what the majority um, of people believe in. If we belong to that, we are safe, right? Uh, because you yeah. know, then I'm just moving ahead with the crowd. But if I have something that would mm -hmm. make me stand out, it could be the color of my skin, it could be my religion, it could be the way I dress, the way I mm -hmm. eat, right? Um, so my culture, my faith, these are the things that would make me stand out in a way that people may not like, right? So, and, th and this is why, to answer your question, um, the way that in an especially in an educational setting when the children are children and they are always wondering do i belong or not to this environment um so it is important to create that sense of belonging for them and yeah. it is important to incorporate certain things that would value or that would represent the culture or the faith or different races that we may have in a classroom it could be in the form of posters it could be even teachers talking about it it could be giving the mic to the person who may be a minority in the classroom to just share a piece of their culture with us so that the children, especially the young minds that are malleable, they are still forming, they are still advancing, they would see how it could be done, how they could embrace the differences um, that they see in their classroom to their benefit. It's an opportunity to learn rather than to exclude. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's great. And I, I've really appreciated the way that you've highlighted the benefits of belonging and why it's so critical to us as human beings. And then you're, you're also always bringing it back to education as well, which is helpful to think about. And as we think about education, as we think about this critical foundational point of belonging, uh, you know, what are some different ways uh, that we can look at this and include this within the educational setting? Uh, in terms of making sure that uh, children feel the belonging, I think, yeah. Yeah. Right, yeah. right. So, um, exactly. So, th this, is, this, is a, um, this is a very good question. There could be different ways to think about that. Uh, again, going back to um, in a classroom setup, um, the, perp you know, the, the whole purpose of the education is to make sure that the child learns and grows. And, um, you know, as teachers, um, we would want for our kids to be motivated, to have fewer behavior mm -hmm. struggles, to have well-being, to be able to trust, um, and so to have that academic performance. So, um, there, there could be, for example, there could be, um, again, different ways to implement based on the classroom, but the way that, uh, that, that the environment could be set up, for example, having different books that would represent different people, mm -hmm. having photos or posters of, uh, um, you know, just to represent different people and, and ask them to present something about themselves, um, or what are they good at um, that could bring about that value that they that they can, you know, put in front of the classroom as only that person can do because they belong to certain cultures. So if we ask them to prepare something and do something for the classroom, they will feel the value, that they're, they're valued enough mm -hmm. for their teacher, um, you know, whom they look up to, to ask them to prepare something and present a piece of their culture, a piece of their, uh, the, the, yeah. you know, the belief that they may have. Um, or another thing, you know, I, I was I was um, looking for some examples since you're asking is that it could be as simple as, for example, I remember um, there was a, there was this teacher that created a personal handshake, right? So every every day, okay. as a way of greeting his students at the entrance of the door, uh, the, I mean the classroom, he would just stand there and he would have these personal handshakes with everybody. Right. So that was his way of saying you're valued, regardless of who you are, but you're valued. So I have I, you and I have this handshake together. So imagine that. So that would increase the mood um, for all of these children uh, in another school in the U.S., two eighth graders. The, they, they started a tradition to to go greet the students every morning as they come to school. So, you know, in the morning we could be not feeling very well or upbeat. But just having two people smiling at us in our classroom, you know, two students, that would brighten the day for all of these students. Again, regardless of who they are, what they are wearing, what is the color of skin, what is their faith background, they would show consistently, they would show this care and respect to, to these kids and even compliment them every now and then, you know, for all of the kids about what they wear or the message that they shared or your backpack is nice or something like this, like little things that could add up. It would make up, it would make somebody's day for them to start fresh and be successful. Yeah, I really appreciate those examples, uh, you know, from a smile to a kind word to a handshake to 
different posters that are representing different cultures and religions and different books in a, in a classroom. Um, you know, those examples are very practical and they also sort of paint this picture that it can look different and uh, it could be utilized in different ways to, to build this culture of belonging. And as we think about belonging, right, and, and we're putting it on a spectrum, right, maybe on, on one side we have belonging, on the extreme other side there's, there's maybe loneliness. Um, and if we think about this as a continuing a continuum, um, do you think it's possible that there exists a continuum from belonging to loneliness, or is it just one or the other? I'd be really curious to get your thoughts on that. Right, right. That's a good question, Matt. Um, loneliness to belonging. Um, so I think about it this way, that loneliness comes from a, um, a human need to belong, right? And if, and if we cannot belong for whatever reason, then we feel that loneliness, uh, which is really against um, the, the, the way that our, that our being as a human being works. Uh, because, you know, as a human being, we are social beings and we would like to be emotionally connected to others. We would like to uh, make meaningful conversations, meaningful relationships and care for others and also be cared for when we need that. Uh, so if we do not have that, so this could be, of course, um, I'm guessing your question would be for everyone. It could be for students. It could even be for the adults, for all of us. If we don't achieve that belonging the way that we should as a human being, then we fall on the other side of the spectrum, which is loneliness, which sometimes we may think it's okay. But the question is, is it? Because as, as I'm thinking to answer your question, I, I also think about solitude, which is if I want to have a moment of solitude or loneliness for myself intentionally, if I choose to, uh, to like recharge and be able to connect, that is, I think, the conversation, the way that, that you're asking, that is different from uh, loneliness in terms of something that I cannot belong and so as a result, I am feeling lonely. Did, did, I, did I get that right? Yeah, yeah, that was super helpful. And I, I also appreciate you bringing in the solitude. I wasn't thinking about that. And that, that even helps us understand it more. Yeah, yeah, I'm really thankful for that. I'm going to jump in here too, because now I'm thinking, you know, from, a, from the perspective of a K-8 teacher, you know, being in a K-8 school for nearly 20 years now, I've seen a lot of uh you know kids come through and but what's interesting is it does seem like developmentally speaking especially in i would say between like fifth fifth through eighth grade in particular maybe fourth through eighth grade um there that time period in a child's life that they're going through developmentally so often we see kids that end up saying like nobody likes me or um i have no friends um, and like, I think that they're trying to develop that sense of belonging and wondering how they fit in with, within the bigger picture here and at their school. And, and it leads me to, to wonder, you know, how can we, you know, educate students about this idea of belonging and how can we get them to see that there is evidence that they belong in our school, that they belong in our classroom and then further, how can we even teach them to help others feel like they belong? 
You know, I know it's a, I really went off on a tangent there, Sharzad, I'm sorry. But um, so I guess my question here <laughs> is really around this idea of, you know, how do we, how do we teach children to belong? How do we teach children to belong? That's a very good question. That's right off your alley. <laughs> I think it's up your alley I always, too. Eh? <laughs> I always feel um, I always feel that uh, we are actually blessed that uh, we live in uh, in uh, you know close to the Sariton uh, Charter School Collaborative. This is such a this is such a wonderful school that my both of my children go to, and Janine and Julie, they have the pleasure of having you as a. Uh, currently as teachers for my eighth grader, for my son. Um, and so through the conversations that I have with him when he comes home and uh, those days that he feels like he, he would like to share, of course, you know, he's a teenager. Um, but th there are, I, I hear abundance of, um, uh, you know, opportunities for children, for the students to, to have that sense of belonging at a CSE, which is a blessing. Right, it it really is. So, um, from all of these, um, you know, messages that you put up, um, reminding the uh, children to be at their best self. Right. So all of these um, personality traits or the characteristics, um, such as um, you know, truthfulness, kindness, respect to others. Uh, these are the way that I see them. These are the fundamentals of. Uh, you know, the characters that our children from young age want to develop. And so the way we can help them is by modeling, by modeling this behavior. Uh, what does it mean to be truthful? What does it mean to be respectful? How do you show that? And, and you do that very well at SCSC, you, you truly do. Um, and so these are just to provide some examples in terms of how we teach our kids is that uh, letting them know really that you know the, the, the children are really created all noble with all of these um, traits in them, all of these characteristics in them. It's the matter of bring, helping them bring them out, right? So uh, there was a book that I read one day that was talking about all of these um, characteristics being, or sometimes referred to as virtues, being like the gems within our children. So we all have it. We all have this respect. We all uh, we all want to connect, we all want to be showing helpfulness and kindness. But if uh, the ground is fertile, we will show them, right? It's like seeds that they need to grow. It's like gems that they need to come out and be polished to manifest themselves. So by creating the environment for the children to see how it's done by the adults and to um, acknowledge when they are doing something, again, that's done very well at school, um, they, they get to know the value of this type of behavior, right? And also by showing them that if somebody is different, so going back to that belonging, the, if somebody is different, how do, we, how do we use that as an opportunity for us to connect more to these people? Because, hey, if somebody is different than you, they may have been exposed to something you're not. So take the opportunity to learn. And one of the good examples that uh, it just came to me, Janine, sorry if I'm speaking too much, but I just uh, would give this example is that, for example, somebody who speaks English with an accent, right? Um, without thinking or subconsciously, we may think uh, for the student that, well, if they cannot even speak the language, how much do they know? So it is, it could automatically be linked that, oh, 
he cannot he or she cannot even speak the language but for example this could be used as an opportunity to bring up to the attention of our classroom saying that you know when somebody speaks the language english for example with an accent what it means is that they are fluent in another language right so and by mentioning it this way this just creates that shift in mindset in thinking that oh that is true why are they speaking with an accent because there is an other language that they are fluent in and yet they are trying to speak this one too so now we are using that not as a weakness but as a credit to that student and you will see that the student would light up also the whole classroom now has a different way of appreciation for for hearing an accent for example mm -hmm. in the classroom mm -hmm. yeah i i love that example that's that's a perfect example and um, it also reminds me that, you know, really this idea of belonging and teaching about belonging really needs to start in the, the younger grades. I mean, from, you know, pre-K, pre-K on the way up. Um, I love when I pop into some of our younger classes here and I see that they're, they're, they're reading all sorts of different books or the kids are sharing about, you know, what they do at home and um, sharing different aspects of their own culture. And I think that just giving students a, a voice within the classroom there is also um, super helpful for for making them feel as if they they this is a place where they belong, and that when they walk in through those those school doors, they can actually say to themselves, "I belong here. I know I belong here." Um, and there's evidence throughout the building to to support that, um, where it's happening in the classrooms, and then you know just even up to you know the things that are hanging in the hallways that are expressing each of those each individual student. Um, I think is another way to kind of demonstrate how they belong. I know, I know Julie too has, uh, has uh, some questions about uh, belonging and as it, as it happens within the school system here. Do you want to go ahead, Julie? So here I have a, a corny lead here. So what's the prescriptions? Oh, <laughs> so, no. Um, <laughs> if we're thinking, oh, I did it. It was, it was a softball. I had to take it. Um, so listen, I am curious about where parents might come uh, to this conversation if if they happen to be listening. Um, I know that you do work, um, if you would like to share, in um, in a nearby uh, public library. Um, what What is that work about and um, how does that relate to this conversation? Great, great. Thank you, Judy, uh, for that question. Yes, um, I, I have some ties into education, not at all as much as you do, of course. Um, but I started, uh, I started teaching um, young children. So this is, we're talking about ages five to 10. Uh, and I started this when I was in college uh, back in Iran and then continued it when I came to the US. Um, so these are neighborhood children classes um, happening in, uh, like you mentioned, in, in our case, in a local uh, public library. This is actually an Upper Dublin public library. Um, I have to say, though, due to the pandemic, now it's happening on Zoom until we can again go back uh, into the building. Um, so, but the purpose of the program to answer your question, Julie, is to empower our children so that they um, understand and they recognize um, their ability and their role in uh, uplifting um, someone, one another, and also um, their role in building a community that they belong to uh, and that they can become positive agents of change no matter how young they are, right? So it's the mindset of letting them know that yes, you can, even if you're five, there are things you can do. 
And so we go over, um, I mentioned about this uh, personal personality traits and characteristics. So we go over them um, and we teach them about different things. So we, we will, for example, one day talk about truthfulness and how it is really the foundation of all of these um, characteristics that we we're talking about. Um, love, respect, joy, compassion, passion, patience, sharing, all of this. And every week we will talk about one of them. So this is usually done through, uh, through um, um, like games, for example. We do cooperative games with the children. We read stories. Um, there will be art. Um, and so through these, we keep them engaged and we make sure that they get this message of how important their role is in creating this environment that as they grow up, they feel that they belong, but the whole community can belong. So they can make the belonging happen too. Uh, and as Janine also mentioned earlier on, it is really something that when you start young, it just takes roots in the minds and hearts of our children. If they are older, it is still possible, but now you have to undo certain things and start planting new things right, that thought process so that they will carry on with the, with the right way of thinking and, and in terms of belonging, that is, for them to belong and to make sure that others that they connect with belong as well. So it is important to start at a young age. A, a, a very good component of the program that we do is also service projects because what they learn, they can put into practice. Um, and I remember the younger kids, for example, if we do a service project, we make um, it, it, we had a project to to make um, um, uh, to toys for dogs. So and then uh, you know donate them to an animal shelter. And I remember one uh, child came over and re really took a lot of time um, and and made this toy and said, "Okay, this is mine. I'm gonna take it home for my dog." And I said, "Yes, you can, of course." But then I explained the purpose of the program and that we're really doing this for those animals who are in the shelter, right? So sometimes the kids get it and they're like, yes, I'm going to give it away for the animal shelter, which is that spirit that we're trying for them to think that way. But then sometimes if they are really young, I would say, this is for you. How about you make another one for the animal shelter just to try to to teach them in that moment, um, you know, for them to for them to know the purpose of the service project and how it circles back into helping each other and giving. I just love this idea too of teaching young children and maybe even older children too, um, and maybe adults about how to take responsibility um, for others to make sure that they feel belong. And then maybe even to take responsibility when I feel I don't belong, how do I engage with someone else in order to, you know, stop that feeling of loneliness or isolation? Um, how do I make a bridge uh, for myself? So that's really an empowering idea as well. And I, I know service uh, can definitely um, be a lead in for, for many of these kinds of topics of conversation for sure. Sharzad, if someone were listening to us right now and wondering um, what would be a first step in creating uh, that school culture that we've been talking about, what would you say uh, would be a first step for either parents or teachers or school leadership to consider? Um, yes, a wonderful question. Uh, I, I tend to say go talk to Julie and Janine because they are wonderful. But... Um... <laughs> 
<laughs> I know that you're already implementing implementing many things here. Um, so, but uh, I guess we touched upon a few examples here. Um, I, I believe that it really ultimately goes back when we talk about belonging. It all all of the cues that relate to belonging they go back to signal recognition, value, and inclusion for the children. So, whatever activities that we're thinking. Uh, of doing would could circle around this for the children to feel that that they're recognized that they're valued that they are included um so it, it could be as uh, you know uh, small gestures as making sure we make eye contact with the children making sure that when we want to pronounce their names um we would take our time to do so to correctly pronounce it because these are the little things that would make an impact on their hearts and also taking time to connect with them. And this could be could, this could be a little bit difficult, especially in bigger classrooms, because you know every child uh, comes from a different background. But if we take the time and and make that connection with a student to to show them that they are valued and respected, ultimately it's going to lead into that direction of them succeeding. So the results and the outcome is going to be what we ultimately would love for our students to have. Uh, so maybe upfront, a little bit more work, uh, but this is a good work. This is something that every child needs to succeed. And we, um, and when I say we, is just educators in general, um, are in a really powerful position um, to, to be able to do this, um, to be able to let the children and the students know how valued they are every single one of them. Um, one example that just came to my mind is that this was, um, I was reading about it uh, somewhere on the web, that a child who's constantly late to school, uh, one approaches to school him and say, you cannot be late, just don't be late, right? And if you're late, you're not gonna be in the classroom or take the time to talk to the child and see why is it that he's late? What's going on in his life? Right, so this could be the first steps, in in my opinion, um, to show the child that we care. We care. As your teacher, I care. What's going on? Why are you late? So taking the time to connect and to, to touch their hearts would certainly be a value. Shazad, I couldn't agree with you more. And there's just so much to talk about in this conversation. You've brought up so many really, really critical ideas and practices for educators that are listening to start even as soon as tomorrow. Hey everyone, this is Mike. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of Rethinking EDU, our 41st episode and the next episode in our series on equity, belonging, and inclusion in schools. We hope that you're loving this conversation with Sharzad, and we hope that you'll pop over to our Patreon page at patreon.com slash rethinkingedu to catch the Think Tank episode at the $3 a month level or just to support us at the $1 a month level. We're also super excited to announce a new series that is affiliated with Rethinking EDU has just dropped. It's called Pod Stories EDU, and it's a micro podcast that's under 10 minutes in each episode, and it features the voices of students as they're experiencing the American education system. You can find episodes of Pod Stories EDU wherever you find your podcasts, and we're also going to include an ad in our next few episodes for Pod Stories EDU. It's going to be super cool, and we know you'll love it. In the meantime, be sure to check out our other sister podcast, Diving Deep EDU, with our very own Matt Downing. Thanks. Thanks.
a quick interruption to let you know about another great podcast. Curious conversations with all types of peeps. Encouraging innovation, we are diving deep. Certainly education is what we like to speak. Fervent with dedication, now it is time to teach. Diving deep, EDU. Thought-provoking conversations. In every episode of Rethinking EDU, we take a little bit of time to reflect with our guest about what's coming up for us in this conversation. And we invite you to certainly participate to share some of your reflections as well. But co-host, I'd love to hear from you. What's pushing you to rethink maybe your classroom practice or rethink schools or rethink your uh, your work as an educator? Who wants to go first? Yeah. So I think that what I'm thinking about here is... You know, we mentioned that belonging really is a basic human need and that we, we want to feel connected. I know our, our students are seeking ways to try and feel, to feel connected. I, I think that's, again, super evident, especially in middle school as they, you know, try out different, you know, outfits and hairstyles and, you know, figuring out who they are and how they fit in kind of thing. Um, but coming, coming back to, like, how do you create that safe space, uh, you know, for them to actually try these things out and be themselves. And I think it really comes down to, like we said, making that time to have those connections and, and build relationships. I think so often, um, sometimes we get stuck in the nitty gritty of school and just like, you know, prepare for the the state assessments and get through the content. But we, we, we miss out on developing that relationship with these kids. And really everything else would fall into place if we really just paused and took the time to really build that relationship with them. Um, I think that's what I'm. That's what I'm thinking about. I love it. Yeah, and so much of what Sharzad mentioned is all about relationships first. And I think that's that's totally spot on. Thanks, Janine. Julie, what are you thinking? Well, some of what I'm thinking is um, how our classroom physically has changed in the last couple of years. Um, that hasn't really supported this idea of belonging. Um, you know, the distancing. Um, I think it's so powerful to sit around a table with a group of people and, you know, having everybody distanced. And then, of course, the feedback that we get from one another, you know, you've hurt my feelings, the, the mask sort of takes, takes that away. Um, and just really being intentional about saying things out loud. I know this year that I might not have done so well last year, I've been very intentional about saying, you know, well done, good job, because they cannot see my face, you know, nodding along or smiling or, you know, just really making sure that kids know that, you know, I'm right there with them or I understand. Um, so that's something that I've been trying to work on myself this year. Um, and and just really thinking about um, the family engagement, you know, value, valuing someone's whole family and taking people as they are um, I'm really always so honored to participate in our beginning of the year. We call them ILP, Individual Learning Plan Conferences, but we meet with the families. And I love those questions that we ask them, like, what do you want us to know uh, about your child in order for us to teach them better? You know, so I, I think that's so, so great, of it, you know, that we do that in our school because, um, that's one way that we become partners with the family. And then what a great message for the child to say, like, this is a whole team of people 
that, you know, thinks school is important and is on my team to help me be successful. Um, so that's where I'm, I am right now. I'm thinking about things that we've lost and, you know, how can I find workarounds? And then also some of the things that, you know, we are doing uh, to try to support kids. Awesome. Matt, what about you? Yeah, I man, as I think about belonging, uh, you know, this conversation has really helped me see the, the scope of it and, and how broad it is and how, how complex it is. There's so many different pieces uh, to this puzzle, this belonging puzzle, you know, from the handshake, uh, you know, to the interaction, to even how your room is set up and, and what you're including in your room and, you know, what voices, you know, are being elevated. Does, does everyone feel like they belong in the room? Uh, the physical space, and then how do you go about interacting with with students and people uh, to make them feel like they do really belong in that space? Um, so yeah, this this conversation has been really helpful with that. With yeah, that yeah. Thanks, Matt. And I I agree with you. I think that the scope of belonging is such an um, it's like an underappreciated scope, right? Uh, and we're, we're pushing, I think, against this idea that just being quote unquote inclusive is enough. Instead, I think what we're challenging people to think about is that being inclusive is good and a good place to start, but helping students really feel like they can show up as their authentic selves in a classroom, in a school is is challenging and potentially the most important work that we can do. Um, and I think about getting all of the needs met by students in addition to belonging. All of those things are required for students to be maximal at their job as a learner. And I think this goes right along with that. And one one thought I was sort of having as Sharzad was speaking is we were asking questions is how are we teaching um, kids to understand why it's important for either themselves to belong in a school or for them to ensure that they are helping others feel like they belong in the school? And I think about that, particularly for students that um, may not have had the most positive school experience. How can how can we teach courage amongst our students and say, hey, if you notice that someone is feeling like they're not belonging in your school or in your classroom or in your experience, how do you stand up and say, hey, let's, you know, let's make sure that Matt is included here. Let's make sure that Matt feels like he's part of this conversation and belongs in this room just the same way that I feel like I belong here or someone else who, you know, I share maybe similar identities with also feels like they belong here. So that's, that's sort of what I'm thinking. Um, Sharzad, I'd love to hear your reflections on this conversation as you've heard us reflecting or as you've kind of spoke, uh, what's come up for you? I, I think, um, um, thank you, Mike, for the question. In a, I, I would like to say in a nutshell, this is a challenging but rewarding journey to teach the, the students to how to belong, how to be inclusive of others, even though they may be different from them. And you 
hit on courage. And I like that. That's, that's a very, very important point that um, if you see somebody uh, is not included, instead of joining a crowd of not including him because everybody else doesn't, how about go ahead and do? So that's, so go against the stream of others, what they do, because the right thing is for that tribe to also include, be included similar to as you are, right? So, and, and I really liked when you mentioned that because that's, that, that should be the outcome that from this, from this whole sense of belonging, how do we encourage the children to belong and to also encourage belonging of others? Yeah, for sure, for sure. Shirzad, it's been a real pleasure to speak with you. And we always end our episodes with an opportunity for to plug something that they're listening to, that they're watching, that they uh, are reading, that they are eating, that they are surfing on their you know phone late at night and really enjoying. And so um, co-hosts, I would welcome your plugs this evening. And Shahzad, let's start with you though. Where can we find more information about your work um, or where can we find more information about belonging uh, and its necessity in school or what is something that you're loving right now that you want to share with our audience? Right, right. Thank you, Mike, for that. Uh, it is actually, uh, as, as I was um, uh, doing some, you know, search about belonging um, just recently, I came across this book uh, that just came out today, uh, but I was listening to uh, an interview with the author. So the book is called The Lighthouse Effect. The Lighthouse Effect. Uh, how Ordinary People Can Have an Extraordinary Impact in the World. And this is written by Steve Pemberton. And in it, um, there is a quote that says, uh, the people who matter most in our lives are like lighthouses. So we're referring to human lighthouses here. We can count on them to stay sturdy through a storm and shine a path to guide us through darkness. And I found that profound because I think going back to educators and teachers, we have the power, the teachers, our educators have that power to be a human lighthouse for our children. When they are in this turbulent world, in this stormy world of theirs, trying to find their way and trying to find that sense of belonging, teachers can be that human lighthouse for them. They are noble, they are steady, they are faithful, they don't judge. Right? They don't ask them where they come from in terms of, you know, why do you feel this way? They just try to shine the path for them. No scolding, but shining the path for them to feel comfortable and to, um, to get to their destination in peace. So I thought I would share that with you. Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to include that link in our show notes, um, of course. And... Uh, co-host, what do y'all want to plug? Yeah, I can plug a, a classic book I'm reading right now. So I'm reading Les Mis, um, and it's it's a new it's a new translation, and it's it's really enjoyable to read it. I sort of got into it, and it's an interesting book because it's not really about the story that you know I've seen in the musical or whatever. It's it's about these deeper things, and it's been a it's been a really interesting read. Cool. I just picked up um, Cultivating Genius, an equity framework for culturally and historically re responsive literacy. That's by Goldie Muhammad. I have yet to start reading it, 
Um, I only read the back cover and am excited to start reading it. Um, and I'll let you know, hopefully by our next uh, episode, how the book is going. And Matt, you'll have to give us your update on Les Mis. Janine, what do you want to plug? Go ahead and, and search uh, Tim Ward Jr. Tim Ward, W-A-R-D, Jr. Um, he's a, an upcoming musician and a good friend of mine, and he just released his, his first album here. So um, go ahead and check it out. Okay. What kind of music are we talking about, Janine? A little singer-songwriter action? Are we a country country kind of music? Is he hip-hop? What do you what, what, what is it? Yeah, he's a singer-songwriter. Um, I don't know what, it, what category it would fall under. Um, I don't know. Very, like, acoustic type music. Mellow acoustic um, jams, if I looked it up. Um, probably more like, like folk, like folk songs, that you. kind of thing. <laughs> got you, got you. Okay, we'll, we'll drop a we'll link for that in the show notes as well. And Sharzad, as we're exiting here, it's been a pleasure chatting with you. We really appreciate you joining us. And listeners, thanks for tuning in to this episode of Rethinking EDU. We hope you'd enjoy the series that we're having on equity and belonging. And as always, we would love if you shared us uh, in our podcast with your friends. If you leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, that would be awesome. And you can support us on patreon.com slash rethinkingedu at the $1, $3, or million dollar level. We would appreciate any sort of support that you'd be willing to give. Listeners, co-hosts, it's always a pleasure. And keep rethinking EDU.